Hey, Shiver Seekers, we have got a treat for you today. This is our very first recorded episode, and I will totally admit our equipment wasn't quite up to the standard that you're used to hearing us with, but it is so good. We had to share it with you. So don't hold our audio quality against us. We hope you enjoy. Cheers. Hello, Shiver Seekers. Do you dare to follow us into the hairy unknown? (laughs) I'm Cynthia. And I am Stephanie. You have found the dark oak. Before we get into that, let me tell you, we are also going to be talking about what the scientific community refers to as Gigantopithecus. Whoa. <laughs> Gigantopithecus. Uh-huh. Don't don't try to say it three times fast. <laughs> you will hurt yourself. <laughs> I can see that. What is that? A dinosaur? Or let me tell you. Okay. It also goes by the names of Sasquatch. <sighs> Yeti. <laughs> Yowie. Alma's Skookum and Bigfoot. I love a Bigfoot. (laughs) Okay, I know it probably seems crazy strange for a modern podcast to be talking about like the myth, the legend, the made up creature called Bigfoot. But I think there's a chance he's out there. Oh, I, I, well, I'll wait until I hear what you have brought to the table (laughs) for us today. But I'm a believer. You know, I'm glad that you don't have to be convinced. I'm going to see if I can convince some of our listeners. Okay. (laughs) We're bringing the evidence today. Exactly. So I got into Bigfoot um, when my husband and I were watching some Survivor shows. Now, have you ever gotten into, like, survivalist television shows or anything like that? Maybe a little bit. Like, I watched Missing 411, which is kind of along the lines, although more geared towards, like... um, people who go missing and like what might have happened to them like while they're out in the woods and stuff are you like a true crime girl or what (laughs) (laughs) maybe a little (laughs) so barton and i were mostly listening to it and watching these shows so barton was like wow this is kind of entertaining this guy is like out there being a survivalist and you know he's learning how to live out there with very minimal food and resources and I am watching it trying to get tips to like help my family survive an apocalypse I feel you because <laughs> that's me so I'm like okay I what are like which edibles can I find which and, bugs can I eat exactly so <laughs> I'm trying to like really work through this okay. like how do I build like a fort out of like pine needles and things yeah Um, But one of the survivalists that we like the most, his name is Les Stroud, and he made a show called Survivor Man. The reason I like this one the most is it wasn't sensationalized. I mean, of course it is because it's a TV show and he puts himself in these situations that he wouldn't otherwise be in. 
However, they were like real world survivor situations. So it wasn't like he's going to get thrown in this place and try to put himself in more danger. Like he wasn't climbing rock faces. He wasn't trying to like get in a fight with like a moose. He wasn't trying to like eat poisonous mushrooms. Like this was a real like these are things you can use your resources, be reasonable, think about what you can use, and these are the ways you can get to safety. Okay, so the goal is literally surviving, not... Yes. Okay, exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Okay. Not, like, getting people to watch the show because you're being sensationalistic. Gotcha. So, long story short, he, in his seventh season, made this show, uh, it's seven series, and it's called Survivor Man Bigfoot. And he made it because in all of his exploration, there were things out in the forest that he experienced that he couldn't explain. Okay. Now, he's not necessarily a Bigfoot believer, but there's something to it. And so when I watched his Survivor Man Bigfoot, I was like, okay, if Les Stroud, who I find, at least on the screen, to be pretty reasonable, pretty objective, thinks there might be something to it, um, well, maybe there is. So I started doing my own research, and now I'm here getting to share all of that with you. I am so excited. (laughs) So we're going to go back to the very beginning. Um, The legend of Bigfoot and just records records of Bigfoot go back as far as the 1800s into the 1900s. And they are mostly in Northwest um, United States. So Bigfoot started as what we know as Gigantopithecus, which has fossils that were found in China. So Gigantopithecus is a real creature. A real creature. Not a dinosaur. Not a dinosaur. It's like an ape-like creature. Okay. So the skeletons kind of look like what you would think a Bigfoot skeleton looks like. Okay. The idea is they came across the Bering Strait. There was a little land mass that was there. Across the Bering Strait into North America. Okay. Now, that little strip of land doesn't exist anymore because of continental shift and ice melts and all those kinds of things. Sure. But that is why you get the most amount of sightings in areas like Canada, Alaska, Washington State, British Columbia, and kind of the whole of Northwest United States. Okay. In my research, I read a book uh, by Dr. Russell Jones called The Appalachian Bigfoot. Okay. (laughs) Now, as the book would indicate, there's also a large amount of folks that believe that Bigfoot could have traveled as far east as the Appalachian mountain range. Okay. Because I've even heard that Florida has a high Bigfoot sighting. I don't know. It is. I think, okay, I'm probably going to get this wrong, but I think they're like number five. Okay. Like, Like in the order of states that see the most sightings. Okay. Florida's like number five. Now, do you know what they call Bigfoot in Florida? No. (laughs) Okay, so there are thousands of names for Bigfoot. In Florida, they refer to it as the skunk ape. The skunk. Well, that sounds very, (laughs) that sounds like a very Florida name. You know, it's like a very stinky swamp creature. So anyway, we digress. Okay. (laughs) Now, Bigfoot is described as a large, hairy, human-like creature. It ranges from six foot to 15 feet tall, standing erect on two feet, or as I like to call it in my very learned way, bipedal. Oh, you are so (laughs) smart, Stephanie. Now, 
like Florida has indicated, it often gives off a foul odor. Okay. And it can either move silently or it uh, emits a high pitched cry. Oh, so it kind of describes my two personalities as well. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Footprints have been measured up to 24 inches in length and 8 inches in width. Now, for clarification's sake, there is not a single Bigfoot. Right. There is not a single entity running around photobombing everybody across the world. Right. So there are families of Bigfoot. Okay. So researchers believe there are male Bigfoot, there are female Bigfeet, Bigfoot, Bigfeetsies, and they're also juvenile Bigfooters. Baby feet. <laughs> Baby feet. So I have not found the plural for big feats. Okay. So you can just kind of mull that over in your own mind. But even though we refer to singular Bigfoot, we can refer to family groups. Okay. The question always comes in, if there are enormous creatures living amongst us in large family groups, why have we not found any? Correct. Right? That's kind of the question everybody's mind. Right. Why have we not captured one? Why do we not find Bigfoot bodies everywhere? Why do we not find skeletal remains? Where are these creatures? There's never been a clear photograph that can... Right. Okay. Well, maybe. Oh, okay. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. We're going to get there. All right. <laughs> um, According to Dr. Jones in the Appalachian Bigfoot, about a third of residents of North America believe in Bigfoot. Okay. That's a pretty big That's amount. higher than I would have imagined. What's interesting about that figure is also takes into account Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, and all really big cities where Big Feet, Bigfoot doesn't live anywhere around. Right. If you ask anyone that lives on the Appalachians, that number is as high as 75%. Wow. So almost everybody knows or has their own story or knows somebody that has a story. Okay. According to National Geographic article published in 2011, researchers have documented less than 15% of all living organisms. I believe that. I mean, it's incredible to think about and sounds impossible, but yet all the time we're hearing about new species being found. It's staggering to me. So here we are. We're like, we know everything about our world. Right. We have only categorized, I'm going to say it again. 15% of all living organisms. But that's on the globe. So that's including things in the sea, creatures in the sea where we don't totally live, fair. Creatures that's... in the sky, bugs, like big feet are a little easier to spot, I would assume. That's a totally fair aspect. So 85% of all living creatures are yet to be discovered in catalog. Pretty cool. 15%. And again, I think you said it correctly. Most people would argue, okay, but that's small microorganisms, right. that's plants, that's things that, you know, we have to use microscopes to find. We're not talking about a giant Bigfoot. Right. Well, listen to this. Oh. <laughs> when I was looking for newly discovered animals, I found an animal um, called a Celecebus. It is a newly discovered monkey oh. that lives in the jungle of Colombia that was just discovered in 2010. Okay. It was not discovered because the area was um, uh, restricted to researchers because they thought it was too dangerous because of the guerrilla fighting and warfare and things like that. Okay. Okay. But that's 
13 years ago. Also in 2010, the Northern Sierra Madre Forest Monitor was discovered living in the Philippines. This is a six and a half foot tree dwelling lizard. Okay. Six and a half feet. Right. Living in plain sight. It wasn't even researched until an indigenous man was caught eating one. And then scientists went, hey, what's that? Again, 13 years ago, they found a six and a half foot monitor lizard living in a tree that wasn't trying to avoid capture. Now, if you're thinking of Bigfoot, like they're actually trying to avoid being found. Right. You have this lizard living in plain sight. Right. The biggest eye opener for me was realizing that the snow leopard. Okay. Snow leopard, right? Everybody knows what a snow leopard is. Yes. Do you know the first intimate footage of a snow leopard was not captured until 2017? Wow. Okay. 2017. So that and the argument goes out the window a little bit. It does a little bit, right? The only reason they were even able to capture this. So first of all, this was for uh, Planet Earth 2. Okay. So this is Planet Earth right, reboot, right? A lot of money. Correct. I was going to say big budget. A big budget. We're not this. talking you and me going out with our little handy dandy no. magnifying glasses. No. It took three photographers 16 weeks wow. to capture... These few short minutes of a snow leopard. And that's only because they had like Sherpas, like show them where to put the cameras. Okay. Well, there we go. There we go. All right. I, I mean, I'm convinced. It's possible that he's still hiding out Absolutely. there, right? It, you can't say it's impossible. Now let's talk about where the Bigfoot would call home. The North American boreal forest, which is kind of the northern, if you think about the continent of North America, that covers a bunch of North America, the boreal forest, where most people believe Bigfoot to live, covers 1.5 billion acres. Oh, <laughs> I mean, relatively small. Right. The Appalachian mountain chain covers 500 billion acres. That's a lot of mystery land. Right. And yes, there are definitely hiking trails and biking trails and walking trails through these vast wildernesses. But research, research has shown that most people don't travel more than a quarter mile from a designated trail. Right. I mean, that makes sense, right? Right. Because you don't want to get lost in the right. forest. However, if you're an animal that doesn't want to be found. Right. You just don't go near the trail. Right. And I would assume they can smell when humans are around. And I would assume that they would have, you know, animal instincts and, and things that would like alert them to alien type creatures being in there. Yeah, I mean, they've avoided detection all this time. Right. I mean, stands to reason that they would just know or could even um, anticipate patterns. Like, mm. I know that people only use this trail during these certain amount of hours. Or, um, you know, I know what it sounds like if a car is here right. and I can stay hidden. Those kinds of things. Right. Well, and I will say um, creatures that live in the woods. I remember Andy and I were on a hike and it was a very populated hike. And we just, he just happened to turn around and look behind him. And there was a deer like 10 feet away from us that nobody saw. It was quiet. It was sight. Nobody saw this deer, but it was right there. But it just has evolved to know how to be silent and invisible. That's exactly right. Even with all that, sightings still do happen. Okay. Yes. 
The most famous of all, which you have probably seen, is the 1967 Patterson-Gimlin film. And that's the, exactly. She's literally, like, posing, like, the Bigfoot, the look back. <laughs> but, and, and the funny thing is... At first I thought you were stretching. Oh. <laughs> I was I apologize for our very uncomfortable chairs. <laughs> the funny thing about that is when I envision that uh, photograph, I see Jim Carrey's The Grinch doing it. Do you remember that scene? <laughs> Where they reenact it? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So the the famous look back. Yes. Right. Um, now the Patterson Gimlin film, which you may not be aware of, it was filmed by Roger Patterson and Robert Gimlin, and they were in Northwest California. It features what is described as a female Sasquatch because she does indeed have bosoms. Okay. If you look closely at the film. Okay. She's walking. Um in like a dry creek bed towards the forest. And as she's walking to try to kind of avoid being around these filmmakers, she does this turn back. She she tilts her shoulder back towards the filmmakers to, again, expose her bosoms. Um, but also that's the most fascinating part about the film because many believe there's no way someone in a Sasquatch or ape costume could turn back the way that she did. Just anatomically, it would not have looked the same. That makes sense. And what year was that taken? 1967. So our costuming has probably greatly improved in the, what, 50-something years? or Okay. So a 1967 Bigfoot costume would be even harder to maneuver in. Well, that's exactly right. And if you're looking at it, you can even see, now granted, I mean, it's kind of grainy, 1967, sure. but you can see under the fur and skin muscle definition, okay. which you just don't get with a costume. Right. And to your point, so 1967, so we're kind of 50 years out right. from that. That video has still yet to be debunked. No one has been able to replicate it. Okay. No one has been able to replicate this film. Right. So it's considered kind of like, you know, the gold standard of like Sasquatch filming. And again, and, and both of these filmmakers up until they passed away have said it was not a hoax. This preacher just appeared. We, they were actually filming a, like an old West movie. That's okay. why they were even out there with this equipment. And all of a sudden they just discovered the Sasquatch. Now, after it walked into the forest, they went over and found where the Sasquatch had been walking. And they found a very clear set of footprints, which were later photographed and cast. Okay. One of the feet impressions that they cast shows a push-off ridge. And you can see it in the video as well. This is not like a flat-footed costume walk. At one point, the Bigfoot lifts up her heel while keeping the forefoot planted on the ground. Okay. And they found that foot impression that shows a clear push off of the foot, which can't be created by just plodding along with feet that wouldn't be as flexible. Right. So this indicates that it's a real, it has bones, it has muscle, it has skin to be able to move. The Patterson-Gimlin film that we talked about, that's like the hallmark, like everybody wants to get a video like that. I mean, outside of like, actually catching a Bigfoot. Sure. But there are so many other sightings all the time. As a matter of fact, 
in California alone, um, there are about 461 credible sightings. What every year is a credible sighting? It's like there's some kind of evidence or something. Well, it just means that the person that reported it is believable. Okay. And there are several different criteria for that. Okay. But I'll go into a little bit later. There are self-proclaimed independent Bigfoot research organizations that go out and kind of vet them, if you will. So they say, does this person have something to gain? Is what they're saying seems reasonable? Is what they're saying, can it be corroborated by someone else? Is there somewhere else there? So these are ones they kind of weeded out. And of course, nobody knows for sure. But these would be ones that they think are worth more investigating. Okay. Okay. So there's 461 just in California alone. <clears throat> and one totally made my hair stand on end. Les Stroud interviewed this Native American man that lived in the Hoopa Reservation, which is in Northern California. And he had lived on this reservation for 50 years on this reservation for 50 years. And, you know, he had grown up on this property, his for many decades before him and he has this insane story now to hear it in his own words is totally freaky i'm gonna try to do my best so this is kind of a quote from him i had a really close encounter when i was seven years old right here on this flat and he's telling this this account is like in his home he said one night i was going to the bathroom at nine o'clock in the evening and our bathroom was relatively small but our window was about six feet off the floor and I looked up into the window and seen this humongous arm reaching right in. It almost touched me. The arm was massive, huge. The skin was like not a black color, but like a really dark tan color. And I fell to the floor. I couldn't holler. I was paralyzed. I laid there and all of a sudden I hollered to my dad, 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 dad. And he came running into the bathroom and he goes, what's going on, son? And he sees me laying there and he kind of picked me up and said, and I said, that thing tried to grab me, dad. That thing tried to grab me. So he runs back into the other room and hollers at my mom and said, give me the gun. Like this is blowing my mind, right? right. <laughs> he then explains that his father chased the creature from his home out to a drainage area behind their house. He said the creature turned and looked at him. His father said the creature right. turned and looked at him. But by the time he cocked the gun, it had jumped over a huge crick in like one leap. And when his father had like gained his composure and he didn't realize what happened, the creature had just disappeared into the forest. So it wasn't just a seven-year-old seeing this creature. It was also his adult father. Correct. Now, there was no hair, though, on the arm. Or he didn't say. No, it was a large, hairy arm. Oh, well, hairy. and actually, I will say... In this story, he doesn't say it, but there was an artist rendering in, like, because, again, this was for a TV series. So there was an artist rendering of the arm, and it's this large, muscular, dark arm with covered in dark hair. It looks like an ape arm. Wow. Is what it looks like. And to make it even creepier, it literally showed the arm, like, through the window. I mean, it makes me think of those. What was that book we used to read as kids? Like scary stories you tell, to tell in the it, dark. It literally looked like one of those drawings. Wow. I was like, okay, well, I'm completely terrified now. Now, what were its intentions? Why was it trying to grab him? I mean, especially these creatures that don't want to be found. Was it just curious, maybe? Was it not trying to 
Because and maybe it's different because it was a child. Right. May, I, I, or maybe it was an adolescent Bigfoot trying to get in trouble. Right. It could be. Any, I don't get the impression from all the Bigfoot I've met that they are mean creatures. So I would assume that reaching in, trying to grab somebody would be more um, playful. But what do I know? You know, I think that's easy for us to say when we don't have a giant hairy arm reaching in our window trying to touch us. Oh, well, if I was seven or even <laughs> 41, um, I would be frightened. Yes. <laughs> You're like, that was so playful. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think that, I don't know that he was trying to be attacked. I actually do agree with you. Yeah. I agree with you. But would it be terrifying? Of course. Exactly. Uh, if a human arm reached into my window, <laughs> honestly, while I'm using the restroom, I would be pretty frightened. Yeah. Let's all agree to just not reach in people's windows. How about not? I will say, as it turns out, all those things said, all these different sightings, true Bigfoot research didn't even start until 1950. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So you think about, you're thinking... Okay, hundreds of years, we've been looking for this creature, but we really haven't. The first collection of data didn't start until 1950, and a large group called the Bigfoot Research, oh, I'm sorry, the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, or BFRO, has been collecting and researching reports of sightings, and they look in each one. So this would be one of those groups that turns a sighting into a credible sighting. And this was considered a credible sighting. And this was considered a credible sighting. Vetted it. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what I think is cool about them is they actually go out, when they go to research a sighting, they look for any kind of data. And they also look for um, forensic evidence. So real, can you find hair? Can you find, there's a new um, development coming out now called eDNA. And so it's very, they can very quickly turn around DNA. And some of these samples that they've collected, some of these sightings, it's coming back, it's kind of matched with human and kind of matched with ape, but it doesn't match any creature we know. And also not because another, my mind goes to, could these be certain species or very large bear? But no, nothing is linking back to this could have been a bear. Many, many sightings are in like camera footage has been researched and they have found to be bears. Now, to be fair, the person that saw it genuinely did think it could possibly be a Bigfoot, but it's come back, they were like an emaciated bear, a bear with mange, a sick bear, something like that. So it definitely looked like something odd, but not a Bigfoot. All right. And then there are some, they can't figure out what it was. But the DNA is matching to... An unknown kind of human, kind of ape, but nothing that we actually know. That's exactly right. Which is exactly what I would imagine a Bigfoot to be. Like, kind of human, kind of monkey. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One of the most fascinating things I found on the BFRO website are audio recordings. Oh, <laughs> I just got chills just thinking... Because um, Bigfoot, again, they can either move silently, as you've described, like the deer, right? So kind right. of like this protective side of themselves where they want to move silently. And then they also have these communication calls. I would like to play one for you. I would love to hear one, Stephanie. <laughs> Please play that. What I'm about to play for you was recorded in 1994 in Ohio. 
it was recorded by a Bigfoot researcher, like across a body of water. And you'll hear a neighbor dog barking. And in the back, you will hear the howl of a Bigfoot. I cannot wait to hear this. Yeah. It howls several times. Now, the dog barking is a little obnoxious, but it's, I love it. Here we go. Okay, so here's that that gave me shivers, like seriously, because whatever it is, it's something a little spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, what that takes me to is remember I told you missing four one one. Um, it's kind of like survivorish. It's a little more like is there some kind of conspiracy theory with people going missing? But one of their actual episodes is based on just like hunters that go missing. It's called missing four one one the hunted and in there there is a story of this group of hunters that goes to this secret spot in the woods every year and like spends you know like a week hanging out hunting and this was back in maybe the 60s or 70s one night they caught sounds and they were able to record them and it was communication between some kind of creature yes and they have had this audio tested no one has been able to debunk it they have proven that it was not like ai or created in a lab or you know somewhere and like some scientist has said okay this is definitely made by a creature that's like over seven feet tall they are going back and like and it's very similar to this but it's from a completely different you know a completely different sighting i guess we'd call it or whatever so um that's interesting yeah so this howl is pretty characteristic of what you'll hear a lot of bigfoot researchers tout as being from a bigfoot mostly because there's nothing else that we have found that makes that noise. Right. And that makes it with such a long howl and that makes it in these particular areas. There's also tree knocking, which is a big thing, like knocking trees in like a rhythmic way they think is a form of communication. Um, and sometimes they have picked up, it's almost like a large animal speaking some kind of gibberish. Like, it's like faux speak, almost. Okay, Cynthia's literally here with with goosebumps right now. (laughs) Because I almost want to, like, Google and see if we could find missing 411. And we can edit this out if if it doesn't work. Okay, guys, we're looking for more Bigfoot audio because Cynthia is so inspired right now. I'm going to see if we can find some more. If I find something good, I'll play it for you guys. Just because how cool it would be if you had two different sources. We all go inside, close the shelter door. And uh, that's a wall that we put between these trees, and then we strap it inside a cable. And then uh, 
then they would start making their sounds. And that was in 71 when I first started hearing them. And we started recording them. So go back and watch that and read what is coming up because it talk that's where it talks about a scientist i think said that it was this they have tried to debunk that they've tried to like audio engineers have tried to pull that apart and find where it's faked now some of that it said like the hunters exactly mimic. they were they were mimicking them they were trying to speak to them yeah and there's another um audio clip as well where i didn't use it in here because it's kind of hard without seeing it on a screen to figure out you know what's the person versus the creature mm -hmm. that's kind of speaking because it's the creature is mimicking what the person's doing isn't that crazy now it's very important to realize while these do sound ape-like monkey-like these areas where you're hearing this is not an area where a monkey or an ape lives so so what's making that noise right what's making that noise and what is intelligent enough that it can mimic a noise that sounds human-like. I mean, I, I don't think anybody would go as far as to say it sounds like speech, but it certainly sounds like mimicry of speech. Right. I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's something scary. But this actually leads us into our next big part. If we can catch audio at Bigfoot, why have we not been able to catch anything on video? Good question. Good question, right? One of them, that, I mean, one reason that that can be explained is just the vastness of their territory that we've already covered. I mean, we're talking about billions of acres. Think about all the different caves and hides. And again, this is a creature that doesn't want to be found. This is a creature whose hallmark is to stay hidden. And so if we have creatures that aren't as intelligent as this beast that have stayed hidden for so long, how on earth could this creature you know, not if it wanted to, like stay hidden right. in all of this uh, vast wilderness, essentially. There is also a chance that, as you're saying, kind of their 
wildlife reflexes that they can sense cameras. And they've proven that bears can do this too. So bears can hear them. They can um, smell them. They can taste them. As a matter of fact, a lot of hunters' um, cameras are taken because the bears want to eat, like they're attracted to the lithium and like the batteries and things. Interesting. Yeah. So they can smell them. They want to eat them. They can hear them. And also there's a very real sense that they could um, sense the electrical signals being sent off. There are even some humans that are extremely sensitive to electronics and things like that. They can feel them in their bodies and things. And so there's a chance that they avoid cameras because of this. And one particular story I read, there was a woman um, who believed she had a friendly Sasquatch living on her property. And she had a pretty big acreage. And what she would do periodically is leave little gifts on the stump in her front yard for the Sasquatch, right? She would leave, sometimes it would be food, sometimes it would be a trinket of something, like just something to kind of like a gift for this Bigfoot. Oh, I love that. Can I just say... I want a friendly Sasquatch. A friendly Sasquatch. Just don't reach in my bathroom window, please. please. (laughs) Boundaries. Boundaries. But feeling like this is maybe what she has, she wanted to set up a camera to make sure, like, I want to make sure I'm not leading all this food out for, like, a raccoon or a possum or a bear that we talked about. So she set up a camera on the stump, which, again, had been visited many times with a creature taking things off of the stump. She set up the camera. She left it overnight. It was a motion-sensitive camera. She came back the next morning. She saw that the camera was off, but whatever she had left on the stump was gone. She went back and watched the footage. It shows the motion being triggered by something throwing sticks. (gasps) Ooh, I just got chills. In front of the camera until the battery died. Okay, what animal? (laughs) What animal? would know to do that the first time. Like, I believe animals can learn. Like, you see the apes in zoos who, like, learn, hey, you can do stuff on your phone. And, you know, but, like, this is an animal living in the wild. Mm -hmm. The first time Mm -hmm. a camera is set up, the animal shouldn't even know there's a camera there. But knows to do that? Yeah. So it's Okay. So that makes me feel like it's either some really smart animal or a human. Clearly, clearly, that could always be the situation. But right? who, what's the motive? What would be the motive? That's exactly like just right. to go. Here's a woman just kind of living on her own, doing her own thing. Like, I've got this little Sasquatch <laughs> that I feed. Now, what made her think she had a Sasquatch? Do we know? Had she? Had... Um, I think she had found footprints. She had seen something that indicated there was a large animal on the property. Um, that's all I know. She had never seen, actually seen him, but there had been evidence that there was a large animal moving out the property. She had heard a few things and she said, I just think it's a Sasquatch. And here's the deal. I can see myself saying that. Maybe I have a Bigfoot out there. Let me just set up a camera and see. Absolutely. Like something's taking this. But clearly a raccoon is not throwing sticks in front of her camera. Until the battery dies. Uh, And then taking the trip. I don't think a bit. I mean, I don't think any. Wow. (laughs) so les stroud as i mentioned before the creator of survivor man who i find to be pretty objective he was pretty open to discovering and exploring but wasn't completely sold on bigfoot either he admitted he had trouble with his camera equipment as well while fully admitting that moisture can mess with their electronics he said normally what that does is just shut it off but 
this was malfunctioning only when they would hear certain noises around them. Only when they would have an eerie feeling and they would just shut off, but then they would just come back on. So is this theory that somehow these creatures are able to disrupt certain tech? That's the logical. Is that somehow devices? they have adapted to where something about their makeup can interfere with electronic devices, which would then explain why we don't have a ton of video, audio. Correct. And my man, my boy, Dr. Randall Jones of the Appalachian Bigfoot, he also talked about a story. I'm going to read you what happened with his experience. He said that he had found a great camera spot. It was a very deep creek, creek that must be swum across, and it had cliffs on either side that go up to the top of the hill. So he used two cameras on either side of the, basically the hillside. So they had to go through this ravine. So if there was anything going through there, it had to film it, right? He was like, there's no other way around this. This looks like a common migration area. Like I'm going to catch it. There's no way to scale the walls. There's no way to go around it. All of a sudden something can walk around the corner and it's going to be in the camera. Okay. Right. So he's like, I'm full proof, full proof. Exactly. Well, when he went to go get the cameras, because these were just stationary cameras that he, he would leave kind of months at a time. Like hunting type Exactly. Cameras. Exactly. So he went back to find it. And he found that the first, uh, both cameras had functioned completely normally until the second week of December. When they both shut off at the exact same time. Now remember, this is like the middle of nowhere, right? So it's not... Probably not. And also, like, if they shut off at the exact same time. That's not a battery. That's not that's a, not a battery. And even if it was, you have two people there hitting the button at the same time. Right. Yeah. Like, I don't neither know of them worked until the second week in April when they both turned on at exactly the same time. And they're not linked in any way. I'm not a techie person, but they're no. not linked. They're no. not. No. So literally, they just shut off and they just came back on. He collected them and was like, Okay, well, I'm not going to jump to conclusions here. Maybe something happened. So he sent them to the manufacturer who ran all these tests on them and said, nope, these cameras are functioning completely normally. They have not malfunctioned at all. Wow, that is so unexplainable. It is a little unexplainable. Now, this leads us to what, well, at least Dr. Jones of the Appalachian Bigfoot would call an unfortunate development that... Folks have kind of realized some of this and turned Bigfoot into more of a magical creature. This phenomenon is called woo. W-O-O. Woo. The okay. woo. So woo is what researchers have referred to as the side that has been applied to Bigfoot where everything is, is magical. So think like cloaking, portals. Aliens, UFOs, like these types of things. Unicorns. Y unicorns. So fairies. Think, yeah, but just think like away from the natural world, more towards like sci-fi type stuff. And that just falls under the woo. It's called woo. It's, woo. it's the woo of the Bigfoot, right. right? Most researchers believe this is going the wrong direction. Right. Because they're feeling like this is a very real, a very natural creature. And the more people focus on the woo, the less they're 
actually looking for data, looking for real information, looking for the real Bigfoot in the real woods, not like some portal that they think they just jump in and out of. Because I'm assuming the scientists do not believe that they are magical creatures or that they just go through portals or become invisible or all that. That's true. And most researchers believe it can actually be damaging to go down this lane of woo. Because it makes it magical, not scientific. Yes. And also it, it leads people further away from the natural world. Like if you're going to find Bigfoot, go into the woods, not away from it. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Um, It's also important to note that the United States government has not recognized the existence of Bigfoot at all. So every single piece of research, everything that I've given you have all been put together by independent researchers. So again, the money portion, maybe if there was more money behind it, we would be able to pinpoint where this creature is. We would be able to do more research. These are people that don't get paid. They just have their own time, go out and research all these sightings. They set up their own cameras with their own money and trying to find some evidence. Um, so I think if we really believe he's out there, I mean, I, I think I think there's enough evidence. I guess what I should say is I think there's enough evidence out there that could compel some research organization to put some money into it. I agree after this. The one thing that we definitely can't deny is that Bigfoot is a cultural phenomenon. <laughs> I just went to Tennessee a couple weeks ago and everywhere is like the Appalachian Trail. So everywhere is t-shirts with Bigfoot and little carved Bigfoot figurines. And I saw when I went to Tennessee and all I got was this Bigfoot t-shirt. And <laughs> my husband figured out that I was doing this episode and he found this bumper sticker for me for my car that says, it says official Bigfoot response team. I want one of those. <laughs> I'll totally get you one. Oh. <laughs> um, but incredibly, I loved this so much. I was so sad that I found this out after the fact, but in November of 2021, Natchez, Mississippi hosted Bigfoot's 300-year bash. Oh, it commemorated the first documented sighting of Bigfoot from 1721. The report came from a Jesuit priest who saw something unexplained amongst the trees. His quote was, there came a big scream and a noise in the woods, a ruckus, a ruckus. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I mean... I don't really know how to read that any other way. It's Um, poetry. It's it's poetry. poetry. (laughs) But I think I would like to conclude with just the fact that Bigfoot is bigger than all of us. I mean, like literally, but also figuratively. figuratively. (laughs) Um, Bigfoot represents to me the unknown, the undiscovered, the possibilities. Yes. Yeah. So even if the legendary, the legend of Bigfoot is only folklore, it's still worth our time to explore our world and to challenge ourselves to look further than kind of what's just in our front yard. And I will totally challenge you. If you have any like experience with Bigfoot, this is for all the listeners out there. If you have any experiences, go to one of these websites on the BFRO website. It's very easy. They have a full database. You can go in and you can log everything about it, even if it was decades ago, and you will be contacted by somebody. And who knows, maybe your sighting opens the door to 
something else, you know, where we may be able to find more information or, you know, help uh, shake Bigfoot's hand one day. Oh, man. <laughs> I would love that. That's that's so cool. So my first introduction to Bigfoot was Harry and the Hendersons when I was a little kid. Uh, I love that so much. I I've tried to show it to my kids. It's scary when you're a little kid. Yeah. And they were scary. And then they were bored. And I think I was offended by both reactions. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first time I see it. I saw it being very, very frightened of the beginning before when they catch him and then they put him on top of the car and he like yes. does that little jump scare. Yeah. When he wakes up yes. with his enormous eyeballs. Right. And then I remember just it being, I don't know, just beautiful. And then at the end, what happens? I mean, spoiler alert, when is this movie from the eighties? So you've had plenty of time. You've had some time to watch it, but spoiler alert at the end, they, he goes back to his home and then, Who's hiding in the woods, completely camouflaged? His friends and his a little baby and the other big feet. The other big feet. The other big feeties. Yeah, I love the idea that there's a bigfoot out there. Um, I choose to believe, even if for no other reason that it does. It gives me hope. It gives me. It's like exciting to think that there's something out there that I don't know. I think it's it's limiting. It limits our own minds. It limits our own souls not to get like philosophical about it, but to think, well, everything's been discovered. There's nothing else magical. There's nothing else special. Everything has been found. This is it. This is all we have. And that's just not true. Right. So what if there, if you do believe that there is a Bigfoot out there, what do you think it is? Just some form of maybe like a great ape or something that has yet to be like discovered, like a type of gorilla yeah. or, yeah. um, you know, something like and that. I don't think it's it has like human like intelligence or anything. I don't know. It's throwing sticks <laughs> until a battery dies. Okay. That seems pretty intelligent to fair, me. Fair, fair enough. Um, but there are some apes that are pretty intelligent too. True. So I mean, who really knows? Who knows? I mean, the good thing is they seem to be more friendly or at least like not in everyone's business like other humans are. So I like that part. I feel like I would dig being friends with the Bigfoot. <laughs> More than some people. I have to agree. <laughs> That's my kind of Bigfoot. Oh, I love it. That's, you know what? I have to tell you. So going into this, of course I knew Bigfoot as like this mythological fun creature. Just like I, you know, I love to tell my kids, yeah, I believe in fairies and Loch Ness and Bigfoot and aliens and all that. Just because I'm kind of like a fun, playful person. But actually you have really brought some real, you know, things to think about, like meat and potatoes. Yeah, baby. Like you've actually kind of made it go from something just kind of fun to believe in to wait a minute. It might be out there. Could this actually be a real thing. Open your minds, friends. Pretty cool. I love it. Well, that was your shiver inducing um, episode for today. We hope you join us next week for more Thrills and chills. Woo! Bye. Bye.
This has been a Just Us Gals production with artwork by Justice Holmes and music by Ryan Creep.